You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The Denver Nuggets captured their first ever NBA championship last night with a 94-89 win over the Miami Heat. They have gentlemen swept Eric Spolstra and company. Nikola Jokic gets to go home now. We'll talk about that here from head coach Michael Malone as well as the Joker. We'll also get to a preview of the Tennessee Volunteers in hour number two. And then, of course, it's a Tuesday during baseball season. And that means we're going to the moon with our guys from Apollo HOU. Dez is going to join us today. We'll talk about the struggling Houston Astros and how they can get back on track beginning tonight with a three-game series with the Washington Nationals. But first, let's go to the game hotline. T, what's going on, bud? Hey, what's up, buddy? How are you? Doing good? Absolutely. I'm doing great, man. Uh, what you got? I've got a, a quick question. I'll hang up and listen, okay? Okay. If LSU wins the World Series, how much pressure will be on Brian Kelly? I'll hang up and listen, my man. God, have a good day. Appreciate the call. That's interesting. And, and I'm going to bring in producer and co-host, James Mesh, to, to have a conversation about this. With Zan Brath. I don't know that there would be any extra pressure. And if you would say there would be, it'd probably be really minimal because, I mean, obviously now that you've seen Kim Mulkey get a national championship and say that LSU does win the World Series and Jay Johnson gets a championship himself, you would think, oh, let's go for the three-peat Brian Kelly. Step up. But if you really think about it, I don't think they're necessarily at that point just yet. Look, Brian, Brian Kelly came into the SEC, and in his first year he won 10 games, and he put his team in the SEC championship game. He's proven he can do it. So is there added pressure? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Now, if this was Brian Kelly's fifth year, and he hadn't won a national championship yet or even played in a national championship game. And Jay Johnson and Kim Mulkey were winning titles. Then I would say that maybe there's some added pressure. But going into year two, especially after he had a great year one, I, I just don't know that, that there's going to be any extra pressure. There's going to be pressure from himself, of course, uh, to, to, to win a national championship. But I, I don't know that Scott Woodward's going to be like, hey, man, Jay Johnson and Kim, they're, they're winning titles. Where's yours? I don't think it's going to be like that. Right. You'd love to, for it to be three for three at this point, but do you, I don't think you should necessarily expect it. No. It's ahead of schedule, but I don't think it's there just yet. You're still building the program up, and it's the same thing with Matt McMahon with the basketball team. It's uh, it's it, it's yeah. a well ways 
and you should not be expecting any sort of crazy improvement just yet, like them making a top 32 or a Sweet 16 just Correct. yet. Speaking of LSU baseball, they met with the media today before they leave for Omaha tomorrow. Their first game at Charles Schwab Field will be Saturday evening at 6 o'clock. They will take on the Tennessee Volunteers. Pre-game is at 5.30, and you can catch it right here on the game. But the NBA Finals, the NBA season is over. The Denver Nuggets captured their first NBA championship last night, once again, 94-89 to to take down the Miami Heat four games to one. And they did it behind the performance of, guess who? Nikola Jokic, 28 points, 16 rebounds. He only had four assists on the night, but he shot 12 of 16 from the field. And a a guy who was quietly important for the Denver Nuggets last night. James, how about the performance of a one Contavious Caldwell Pope? He was the only guy on the roster that had won a championship in the past. And he had the championship experience, knew what it took to get it done. And he came up big, especially down the stretch. He had that big steal late in the fourth quarter, uh, four for 10 from the field. He had 11 points on the night, four rebounds, two assists, two steals, three blocks in the game. Um uh, Look, you know, Denver got the performances that they needed when they needed them. Uh, obviously, Michael Malone did a hell of a job coaching this team, and now they're they're NBA champions. Uh, James, what were your thoughts on Game 5 last night? It, it didn't feel like the prettiest basketball game. Oh, no. It was, it was definitely not because there was a ton of missed shots. A lot of times it was weird and odd shot attempts by both teams because at one point even though Denver was not making threes and they surely were not making a lot of them it felt like at some point they were almost trying to do almost a Celtics type of thing like hey if we just keep shooting enough eventually they'll go down but it's like you also have to have quality shots and a lot of them didn't feel like quality shots I am so glad that you brought up poor shooting with 17 seconds left and Miami down three. Look, I get it. You're down three. You want to tie the game with one shot. I get it. Jimmy Butler, what are you doing? That shot selection was horrible. He gets the ball, takes two dribbles towards the Nuggets bench, and with a player in his face, just goes, And it bounces off the side of the rim right into the hands of Bruce Braun. What are you doing? You you gave them the game. It's weird because Jimmy kind of had like that different dog in him throughout the first three rounds, basically. And that dog went whimpering into a corner when they played the Denver Nuggets. Right. It was just like he was attacking. Like he had no fear of the Celtics defense. But as soon as he tried to go into the paint against Denver, with their size and length, he just he picked up his dribble and was like, "Oh crap! Uh, uh, someone take it! Someone mm-hmm. take it! I don't I don't want it." Yeah, it was like, "Do you just not have a floater?" And obviously, you have to think that the the injury that Jimmy was playing through with with the ankle and there there were reports of his hamstring bothering him. Obviously, that plays a factor, right? But I mean, you you just said it. He played without reservation against Boston. 
attacking the rim, making plays, and, and scoring you know, 30, 40 points a game, it felt like. And if not making the basket, putting himself at the free throw line. Correct. And then, I mean, last night he had 21 points, but it didn't feel like he had 21 points. No. And a majority of it came in the fourth quarter and late, late in the game, but it just didn't feel significant. Like, they were there, but it didn't feel like huge buckets. Now... Before we dive into the Nuggets, let's talk about the Heat for a second. How open is their window for a championship beyond this? And what do you think that they're still missing in order to... Because obviously, I'm not going to say that they're not a championship contender. They just played in the NBA Finals. Right, they've been to two NBA Finals in the last three years. years. Yeah, I'm not going to say that they're not a contender. But it feels like something's missing. What is it? I think you need another big-time score because even though you've had the undrafted guys put up points for you, like Caleb Martin has definitely been a reliable guy, but there's been times and big-time stretches in playoffs where you're like, where's Max Struess? Mm -hmm. Gabe Vincent is there sometimes, and then sometimes he's kind of not really there. Duncan Robinson can take you off the dribble and get off a screen and knock down threes and then sometimes when it really matters and then there's times where it's just garbage time and you're like okay well who cares if you shot 50% from three we still lost by 15. Like if you can get another guard that is a more reliable guy than just somebody that you're getting on a cheap deal that's trying to prove himself. Like you can still have four of those guys. Like you still keep Caleb for sure. You still keep Gabe and Max and maybe Duncan, but it's like I think you got to move on from other veteran guys like Kyle Love. Kevin Love is not going to be there much longer. He is is on his last few legs, and it's the same thing with Kyle Lowry. I think you need to get a more dominant guy that can help Jimmy and Bam take some attention off because, yeah, you can see Kyle Lowry and others knock down shots every once in a while, but it's not like they put the fear of God in you. Correct. Like if you got someone like a Damian Lillard in the backcourt, you having Bam in the post, who can also still run point at some points because you've seen him take it down the court. Jimmy doing his thing still, but then also having another dominant ball handler that can score at will like a Damian Lillard or just somebody that can do something of that sort. I think that would be a huge difference maker for Miami. And then with Denver, you know – Obviously, I've seen people talk about how this flips the narrative of you have to have a super team to win a title. No, and if anything, it feels like it's gone to more of a it's gone more to the classic two man game because instead of instead of trying to have a big three like you saw with the Celtics or what you saw with the Miami Heat with LeBron, and Bosch, Golden and Wade, State. and Golden State, and kind of almost it being a four man if you want to count Draymond yeah. Green. It was like. We're going more to the two-man with the rest of the guys being role players role players yep. that play either certain roles or can help do different things. Nikola Jokic is incredible at everything. I mean, there, there. I don't think that there is a facet of his game that is poor. He can shoot. He can dribble. I mean, for, for, for a big man. I was going to say, for his... He can... You, you, would, you would maybe say, like... His speed, but 
Cat 71. <laughs> how how fast a, do you want him to be? Of, that's a lot of body to lug around. Right. You want him you want to be John Wall fast? No. So look, I I think he's one of the top three players in the NBA right now. Um Jamal Murray has been just such a great story. I mean, after that devastating leg injury that he suffered a couple years ago, for him to get back to to this point, you know, drafted by Denver, this was the opportunity for him to deliver on the reason why he was drafted. He and Nikola Jokic were paired together to bring a title to Denver. And so for them to deliver on that with veterans like Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell-Pope and DeAndre Jordan on the bench, you know, don't discredit the, the job that a guy like DeAndre Jordan did for this team. He's been there. He knows what it takes. He's on the back end of his career, sure, but what he can do now is offer advice. He can offer motivation. He can offer guidance, and that's key. A lot of people forget just how important that is. Um, so, you know, Denver did it all. They put it all together at the right time. They got to lift the championship in front of their home crowd last night. Um, and it was it was truly incredible to see. Now, James, they you know they love to do this. The day after the season ends, here comes the way too early power rankings. Have have no fear, your Boston Celtics are second behind the Denver Nuggets. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, we'll, my, we'll see. Miami three, Milwaukee four. But the New Orleans Pelicans are higher than I thought they would be. 14th. Oh, I thought you were going to say top 10. No, <laughs> I was gonna, no that, that's just wild. I was, I was going to freak out. That's just wild. According to Andrew Lopez, health, health, health. Yeah. Whether New Orleans looks like the team from December or the one that missed the play-in tournament is going to come down to health. Zion Williamson missed the final 45 games because of a hamstring injury. Brandon Ingram has missed 64 games over the last two seasons. Things will be looking up for New Orleans if its stars can stay on the court. He's not wrong. Because, let's not forget, in December, they were leading the Western Conference. They were. They were, they were at the top of the mountain for that short period of time. If this team is healthy, they are a threat. Are they a championship contender? I'm not going to say that. They are a threat. They will hang around that fourth, fifth, maybe even third, and 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 they'll make some things uncomfortable for for your top dogs. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they can uh, recover from this. Their 2024 title odds are plus three thousand currently. You gonna throw a dollar on that? I might throw a dollar on that. <laughs> Just it's a waste of a dollar. Uh, I mean, probably, but you know, it's a dollar. Five seven four seventeen. We'll take a timeout when we return. Here from Michael Malone and Nikola Jokic on their championship victory right here on the game. This is crunch time on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're running a little low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help with your date night blues. Join the Rewards Club to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 421. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. If you haven't done so yet, head to our Facebook and Twitter Vote on the poll question of the day, and we will get to your comments and results a little later on in the show. Right now, we continue the conversation of the NBA Finals, talking about the Denver Nuggets capturing their first title in franchise history. Jamal Murray, the point guard for the Denver Nuggets, spoke with the media following the victory, and he was asked, what does it mean for you to help guide Denver to their first championship? Uh, man, I mean, you could hear it in the crowd. <clears throat> um, just the excitement. You know, we have a, the best home court for a reason. I just felt like, you know, all season long, even the past couple seasons, we were hurt. Um, you know, they were just there for us. When, when we didn't have the energy, they brought us energy. They gave me energy. Like, um, they gave me energy to come out and, sh- and, and do an arrow or make a couple shots or show a little bit more um, emotion than normal. You know, like, they would help, really help me going. That's why everybody loves to play at home. Um, I can't you know, shout these fans enough. I'm just so happy for the city of Denver, um, Cronkies. Um, you know, we, we really, really earned this one. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's surreal to see it through. It's tough to answer these questions right now. You can tell that his voice was struggling. He sounds raspy. Did you see the video, James, uh, of Nikola Jokic throwing him in the pool? Post game, yeah, I did. Oh my god, <laughs> shoes and all, yeah, just gonna... get in there, bro. And he was probably, oh man, my shoes are ruined. But then realized, I'm a millionaire. I could just buy another pair. It'll be fine. I can buy as many hyperdunks as and I then, want. And then Christian Braun comes in and just cannonballs right in the middle of Murray and Jokic. That was great. Oh man, Michael Malone talked about what it's like having the opportunity to coach a player like. Nicole Jokic. Uh, it's been amazing, you know, because uh, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it from the, the basketball perspective, two MVPs, finals MVP, world championship, and uh, everything he's done on the court. And then more important for me, you can look at off the court, the relationship, uh, you know, the love that I have for Nikola, his mother and father back in Slombor, Serbia, his brothers Nemanja and Strahina, his wife Natalia and their daughter Ognjena. Uh, you know, they're, they're a wonderful family that I've gotten very close to. And uh, I've said this many times before, but Nicola, even tonight, like he's kind of acting like this was like another game. Um, he's never changed with all the success, and he never will. It's just not in his nature. Um, so, you know, I love, I love Nicola. Eight years, love Jamal, seven years, been through a lot. And uh, just for all of us to stay the course, 
to challenge ourselves to get, all get better collectively, individually. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to be a part of uh, such a historically great player who's an even better person, and I mean that sincerely. This is not coach talk. Nicole is just a, a, a great, great man. That man didn't crack a smile. Nicole Jokic reminded me so much of Greg Popovich when the Spurs last won a title. Just kind of stood there like, okay, yeah, you know, we, we, we did this. The only time I saw Nikola Jokic smile was when his family came down to the court and his brothers bear-hugged him. But before that, like, shaking hands and being with his teammates, stone cold. Dude was just like, right, go home. He's the embodiment of, I just, I don't care. He, he Cause does not. Because, like, like, even during the champagne popping, it, like, mm-hmm. his little champagne bottle, like, just did a little bit of right, right. popping. And then after, he's like, I don't care. I'm over see, it. See me, I'd be slinging it, throwing the bottle, grab me another one. I, I'd be, who? oh, man, you don't want to see me win a championship. I'd be, that'd be bad. Um, <laughs> Michael Porter Jr., he discussed, you know, the the defensive adjustments that they had to make against Miami headed into the second half of that game. I mean, we we made some adjustments, but that's a closeout game. There was just I feel like that game was just intense and it was physical. People were missing shots. Like it wasn't a pretty basketball game, but that's what winning a championship is about. You know, you got to be able to win it. Um in many different ways. We didn't we didn't shoot the ball good all all game. I didn't shoot the ball good. As a team, we didn't shoot the ball good. But like to win a championship, that's what it takes. Um, so in the playoffs, that's what's different about the playoffs in the regular season. You forget about the stats, forget about the shooting percentage. It's just about winning. And then lastly, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, again, the only player on the Nuggets roster that had won a championship prior to last night, talked about the difference between last night and when he won the title in 2020 with the Lakers in the bubble. It's, 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 it's different. You know, I didn't have the crowd uh, or my family at that in the bubble. So it was just my, my brothers um, on the team. Uh, but here it's, it's, it's different because I got the crowd. I had my family in the stands. Uh, was able to get my kids on the state, I mean, on the court with me after we won. Uh, just, you know, and just enjoying that experience with them. You know, I'm, I'm happy. James, one, one, more, one more conversation before we leave the NBA talk. Um, you know, yesterday the, the news came out that the New Orleans Pelicans could be in the market for a draft move to go up to the top three, maybe even number two, to try and get the services of, of Scoot Henderson. Now, I've had some time to think about this, and... I think that I have designed the trade package that I would be okay, not in love with, but okay with acquiring or or giving to get Scoot Henderson. So, if I'm New Orleans... I would give up Brandon Ingram only if Portland is willing to give me 
somebody in return. An Anthony Simons. A Yusuf Nurkic. Somebody like that. I see, I've seen a lot of trade proposals where Larry Nance Jr. is heavily involved. Um, but... What would you do with Nurkic? Would you just move on from Valanciunas in a different trade? So you have multiple trades throughout the offseason? Maybe. Maybe. Um, but but one trade conversation that I've really liked that I've seen pop up that I'd be okay with. The Hornets. They have the number two pick. Uh, but it is believed that they're going to go with Brandon Miller. Now, you could secure yourself the services of Scoot Henderson by going up to two. And here's here's the proposal. The Hornets get Brandon Ingram. And the Pelicans get number two, number 34, and Gordon Hayward. James? Oh, Gordon Hayward. Oh, God. Is that is that enough? I, I know Gordon Hayward's getting up there. He is, he is not a spring chicken anymore. But if that deal was presented to the New Orleans Pelicans and you're David Griffin, are you accepting? I don't think I would because I know Brandon Ingram, he's missed a good bit of time. But so is everyone in this on this team. So, and I feel like of all the guys, he's the one that you could build around the most and he could be the leader of your team. Because CJ... You won't. He's not going to be there for the long, long term like Brandon Ingram would or Zion. But the difference between him and Zion, I feel like Brandon has more of that dog in him, and has more of that tenacity that you would look for to take over in a game. Because Zion could go to the paint and he could play good defense, but it's not like he has a crazy mid range or a three point shot like Correct. you would see from Brandon Ingram. Correct. Now this is another interesting one. The Pelicans would get the number two pick. Okay. And Cody Martin from Charlotte. Okay. But you have to give up Trey Murphy. <laughs> I don't want to give up Trey. Dyson Daniels. I'd give up Dyson. The number 14. Yeah. The Lakers first in 2024. Yeah. And the Milwaukee first in 2027. Yeah. For the number two pick. And Cody Martin. Look, losing Trey's big. I don't disagree. Because your your three point shooting's already poor. Enough. I cringed. I cringed when I saw that too. Your three point shooting's already bad enough. You getting rid of like your main three point shooter? Like that's kind of part of the reason I believe that they had got rid of uh Devontae Graham, because Devontae wasn't making a whole bunch of three point shots and you felt like, well, Trey's more of a reliable guy anyway. But in this situation, you would get Scoot without giving up Zion or B.I. I'd just give up more picks. I'd give up. To me, Trey, he's not untouchable, but he's a guy that you really need to hold on to. I agree. I agree. He, I, he He's one of those guys that if you can hold on to him, you absolutely should. Like, if you want to take Dyson, you want to take Josh Richardson, you want to take... Valanchunas, so you Larry would, you, Nance, you, you go would, for it. But you would trade Valanchunas. I would trade Valanchunas way before I would trade Trey Murphy, because hmm. there's always a there's always a center that you can go get that can 
get you some boards because Valanchunas is usually a third to fourth to sometimes a fifth option depending on how healthy the lineup is. So it's like if you're mainly looking for a guy that can get you boards and play defense, do you really need to pay that much for for Valanchunas? If you're worried about your wing forward and guard play scoring the points more than anything else? It's a fair point. That's a fair point. Uh, but, man, look, the, the Pelicans are running out of time. The draft's nine days away. <laughs> so, it's coming up quick. So if you want to make a move, you're going to have to do it soon. Let's see how aggressive you're going to be. Oh, man, that'll be interesting. LSU baseball, we'll talk about them next, plus their matchup with Tennessee in Omaha, the greatest show on dirt here on Crunch Time. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 437, welcome back to Crutch High. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Last night, Tennessee took down Southern Miss by a score of five to nothing to advance to the College World Series. They punched their final ticket, or the final ticket, I should say, to the greatest show on dirt. They got the final golden ticket. Over in Omaha. And speaking of, of games last night, Texas lost in probably one of the worst ways possible. Uh, Stanford is now headed to their third consecutive World Series. Everybody has talked for years about the twilight sky of California and how if you're not used to it, things can get dangerous. Last night, game tied 6-6 in the bottom of the ninth. Drew Bowser hits a pop fly up into the sky, and on TV it looked like a very routine play. Step over a couple steps, make the catch, you go to extras. Well, Dylan Campbell and Eric Kennedy, neither one of them could find the ball. It fell about 10 feet in front of the both of them, and Stanford scores the winning run and walks it off. Brutal. I mean, that is just a brutal way for your season to end. But... You know, it, it's not it's not anything to, to hang your head about. Obviously, it's a little embarrassing for that to happen. But look, you ask anybody that's played baseball out in California, that twilight sky is real. And again, if you're not used to it, it can hurt you because the white baseball gets lost. It's happened to plenty of guys before. Um. I've seen it happen to the Astros when they play out in L.A. It happens. Uh, So, heartbreaking way to lose, no question. But this isn't the first time it's happened, and it certainly won't be the last. So, your eight teams headed to Omaha are set. In bracket number one, you have Oral Roberts, TCU, Virginia, and Florida. And then in bracket number two, 
You have Stanford, Wake Forest, Tennessee, and LSU. James, I'm going to offer you my National Championship Series prediction right now. Give me the battle of two teams in purple. Give me LSU and TCU. I think that's your championship series. I think TCU and Florida are going to battle it out in bracket number one, and then I think it's going to be Wake Forest and L- and Wake Wake Forest and LSU that battle it out in bracket two. Those are going to be the two teams to watch in each bracket. Um, I think LSU advances out of bracket two. I think TCU advances out of bracket one, and that's your championship series next weekend to decide a national champion. Um, but you know, you you look at a game like the one that LSU faces on Saturday with Tennessee. And you're going to hear this in hour number two when we when we chat with our, our guy Greg Larnard. We're going to talk about this. Could we see a world where Tony Vitello pushes up Chase Dolander to... Saturday to face Paul Skeens. Because if so, that might be one of the better pitching matchups of the year. I'm interested to see what what Tennessee's going to do because when they played Paul Skeens the first time, their offense struggled to get going. Will it be the same? Omaha typically plays like a pitcher's park. Hitters hitters tend to struggle a little bit in, in Omaha from time to time. Now, there have also been instances where Omaha plays like a hitter's park and teams just absolutely rake. It just kind of depends on the year. Wake Forest is going to be a team that makes a lot of things interesting. Again, top it in the country in ERA. They have a good offense as well. Uh, but but Stanford's not going to be easy for them. LSU and Tennessee will play each other Saturday afternoon at 6 o'clock. The winner of that one will play the winner of Stanford and Wake Forest on Monday. And that game right there, James, that Monday night game is where things are going to get very very interesting. Now, if LSU can come through those first two games 2 and 0. Oh man. Anything's possible at that point. You are high rolling for the championship series if you're in that position. Because here's the thing. You're you're going to play Tennessee, right? Then you're going to play the winner of Wake Forest and Stanford. If you win that one, you're going to go to next Wednesday, the 21st, and you're going to await the team that makes it out of the loser's bracket. So, hypothetically, say LSU beats Tennessee, Wake Forest beats Stanford. Stanford and Tennessee are going to battle it out. And then that winner would move on to play the loser of the Wake-LSU game. And then they would move back up into that 2-0 game, and then 
the team with the loss would have to win twice in order to move on to the championship series. Thing, things are going to get dicey in, in, in Omaha. How do you see this going? I see, I see LSU beating Tennessee. I think Wake Forest beats Stanford. Mm-hmm. And then even though it's two absolute powerhouses on offense between Wake Forest and LSU, I would give the advantage to the Tigers. And I think by the end of it, LSU comes out on top. That's going to be low scoring. If it's a Wake Forest LSU game, that game is going to be low scoring because they're both good offensively, yes. But they're also both very good from a pitching standpoint. Mm -hmm. Wake Forest's pitching staff is going to control LSU's offense. That's going to be a low scoring, grind it out, manufacture runs however you can get them type of game. I'm I'm so inc- I'm so interested to see what happens Friday in the top half of this bracket. Because as, as much as I talk about how good TCU has been, I would not count out Oral Roberts here. I would not. Florida and Virginia, right now I would probably lean towards Florida, but I also wouldn't count out Virginia. Virginia's been here before. They've won a national title. They know what it takes. A lot of these teams that are in this College World Series have done it. LSU has won six national titles. Stanford, this is their third straight appearance in Omaha. They've won a couple national titles. Wake Forest has been here before. TCU has won a national championship. Florida has won a national championship. Virginia has won a national championship. These programs are baseball rich and they know what it takes to win. And that is going to make this World Series even more interesting. Because then out of the you have those seven programs and then you have Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts is the team, they're they're the Miami Heat, right? They're they're the team that nobody expected to get this far. And now, even though you have a dog in the fight. You're secretly rooting for Oral Roberts. You're like, man, it'd be so cool to see them win. Because it was the same thing with the Heat, right? They went in as the eight seed. They nearly lost in the play-in. And then they just started beating everybody. And it was kind of like, you wouldn't have been mad either way with this finals because obviously the Heat weren't expected to win. They weren't supposed to win, and they would have. Or Denver wins their first championship in franchise history. Either way, it was cool to see. So Oral Roberts is kind of going to be that story. Uh, You know, obviously LSU fans are going to be cheering for the Tigers, but I'm going to secretly be looking for Oral Roberts to to maybe make a run and make things interesting. Um, But again, TCU Oral Roberts, 1 o'clock on Friday, Florida, Virginia, 6 o'clock on Friday, and then on Saturday, Wake Forest and Stanford. At 1 o'clock, LSU and Tennessee at 6 o'clock. We'll take a timeout when we return. We'll wrap up our number one right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you're looking for great deals, look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. There are plenty of two-for-one deals available right now, including a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50 or a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only $15. Once again, head to AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. 
You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Let's wrap it up. Hour number one here from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. Which unseated team will make the longest run in Omaha at the Men's College World Series? Is it the TCU Horned Frogs? Is it the Tennessee Volunteers? Or is it Oral Roberts? Right now, TCU is leading the way with about 47% of the votes. Tennessee's got almost 22, while the other 32 or so percent goes towards Oral Roberts. Mr. Green says, I think LSU will handle Tennessee. My choice would be TCU. They've looked formidable, though, if I'm being honest, I've only seen them play against the Hogs. Steve says, if we're talking the long run, going to take the Eagles. Oh, you're talking about baseball. Tennessee may be on a revenge tour and may be dangerous. Hate seeing them in the Tigers bracket. Tom said, I think TCU, they've been great all postseason. I wouldn't want to have to face them in Omaha. Which kind of which kind of leans towards you, Matt. I mean, you said you would take tennis TCU out of all the three, and you think it's yeah. going to be LSU versus TCU. Which I'm not very much against that because I think TCU has been absolutely rolling since we got into postseason play, just like the Tigers. TCU has been incredible so far in the postseason. I mean, the the way they're able to handle Arkansas like they did, and then you know, in the in the super, you really just took care of Indiana State. I mean, 4-1, to 6-4, to four, two games, and, and you moved on. Uh, it was really impressive to see. And again, you go back to that Fayetteville Regional, their closest margin of victory was eight runs. They beat Arizona 12-4. to four. They beat Arkansas 20-5. to five, And then they beat Arkansas again 12-4. to four. So just offensively, you scored 44 runs on the weekend. You, you dominated. And, and you continued that into the Super. It was a little closer in the Super against Indiana State. But still, you did more than enough to advance. And, and now, you know, you're going to open up with a really good Oral Roberts team. But it's a team that you can beat. Um, And I, I think TCU will win that game Oral Roberts will climb their way out of the loser's bracket, in my opinion. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out, you know, o- over the next week or so when the World Series gets underway on Friday. Again, in Omaha, LSU plays Saturday night at 6 o'clock with first pitch, or excuse me, with pregame at 5.30. James, the Houston Astros play tonight, a 7-10 first pitch, pregame at 6.40. I finally got a day off. Finally got a day off. It had been a while since they'd had one. Um, they'll play the Nationals tonight, the 26 and 38 Washington Nationals. For the Nationals, Patrick Corbin will be on the mound. He's a left-handed pitcher, 4-6 and six on the season with a 4.89 ERA. He's given up 93 hits. He has 46 strikeouts. 
Hunter Brown will oppose him 5-3 and three on the season with a 3.69 ERA. In 68 innings, he has 79 strikeouts and 60 base hits. The guy that's going to be interesting to watch for them is C.J. Abrams, their rookie shortstop. He's batting two twenty four on the season with six home runs. He's got 29 RBIs. Uh, Mensis is hitting three oh seven. He's going to be intriguing to see how he plays tonight against the Astros. And, of course, Lane Thomas, their home run leader, with nine so far on the season, a two seventy nine average. The Astros are going to be missing Jordan Alvarez yet again. Uh, there, there's still really no update on, on where he stands in, in terms of a return. Uh, the Astros will play the Nationals for three games this week before they host the Cincinnati Reds this weekend in Minute Maid Park. This is the beginning of a nine-game homestand for the Houston Astros, who desperately need to get back on the right track after dropping five of their last six. You just, you have an opportunity here with nine games at home to get right and to gain some momentum because right after you finish nine games at home, you play nine games on the road at the Dodgers, at the Cardinals, and then a four game series with your beloved Texas Rangers. Wowzers. That's going to be a brutal series if the Astros don't get in a rhythm before then. Uh, hour number one, just about in the books. Hour number two, we're going to do To the Moon, talking about the Houston Astros with our guy Apollo Dez. We'll get his thoughts on tonight's matchup with the Nats. Plus, Greg Larnard from ESPN Chattanooga. You might remember him when he was here in Lafayette. He will join us on the game hotline to discuss Tennessee, their trip to Omaha, and the matchup against LSU right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. We're back right after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. That checks like a detail. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's our number two of Crunch Time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111 in our number one. We spent most of the time talking about the Denver Nuggets capturing their first NBA championship in franchise history. We also touched on the LSU Tigers and their trip to Omaha coming up this weekend. They'll play Saturday night at 6 o'clock, pregame at 5.30, and you can catch it right here on the game. To talk about their opponent in the Tennessee Volunteers is a good friend of mine, Greg Larnard, the host of The Word with G up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Greg, what's going on, my man? How are you? Boys, it's good to be on with you. I love getting a, a chance to kind of take it behind enemy lines a little bit and allow uh, some of my old listeners there in Lafayette to uh, to hear me again. And uh, now I'm I'm getting a chance to what is now covering your opponent here with the uh, Tennessee Volunteers. I'm excited to be here. 
So let's look at this past weekend in Hattiesburg. You know, Southern Miss, obviously a very formidable opponent for Tony Vitello's group. And, you know, Sunday, well, it started Saturday. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you had a, you had it rained out. It got moved to Sunday morning. Southern Miss was able to hang on and win that one 5-3. to three. But then in that second game Sunday afternoon, Greg, it looked like something turned for the Volunteers, and, and and the offense just clicked, and the defense and pitching was able to back them up, uh, getting back-to-back wins, outscoring the Eagles 13-4 to in those two games. Just kind of walk us through the weekend and where you think things turned for the Volunteers. Yeah, so it was uh, obviously I wasn't able to be out there in Hattiesburg to, to be covering it, but I, I've talked to some people who were out there, and it was just an absolute S show. I mean, it was it was bad with the weather, and I know there was sort of a – you know, it was uh, up in the air whether it was going to be in Hattiesburg or Knoxville, but it ended up being in Hattiesburg, and there was a lot of different factors that went into that. But, you know, Saturday and then ended up being Sunday, you kind of can't fault them. And the things really set up perfect for Southern Miss. They they went out there and they won the first game with their number two starter, and then they had Tanner Hall set up, and obviously you guys covering uh, the Sun Belt and the Cajuns and whatnot, you know about Southern Miss and Tanner Hall, who's fantastic this year, and things were going exactly the way that they wanted him to through three innings. They get the Chase Dolander there in that third inning in game two for four runs, and then, as you mentioned, the offense just turned it on, and that's sort of always been the question mark for this Vols team. We know they have great arms in the uh, weekend rotation. You know they've got the solid arms out of the bullpen, but is this offense who had to replace all eight starting position players from a year ago on a – a record-breaking team, would they be able to provide offense enough for this team to go where they wanted to go, and that's Omaha. And they did that in the fourth and fifth inning, and it was just so big for this group to put up that crooked number, that the, you know, the, the three-run inning plus inning, and they get six there in the fourth, and then you know Dolly shuts them down in the fourth, and they come right back with, with two in the fifth. I've always said, Matt, you know me to be a big baseball guy, that the mark of a good team is when they get scored upon, can they answer? Or, on the opposing team, do they shut it down? And the Vols answered right back there in the top of the fourth inning. They put up a zero. They get two more. They put up a zero. And Dolly just rolls. I mean, he was in his zone. He calmed down after that third inning where he gives up the home run to Sargent. And that was really just the one mistake he made. And other than that, he rolled. And that's really where this series started to shift. And once they won that game on on Sunday in, in game two or you know, second game and finished obviously with the first one there on Sunday in game two, kind of had a good feeling rolling into Monday that they'd be able to take care of business. So that's really what got them going there on uh, on Sunday in game two. You know, before we move further in looking ahead to Omaha, let's go back to last year's Super Regional in Knoxville. You know, you you battled through the regional. You beat Alabama State. You beat Campbell. You beat Georgia Tech. And then you get to the Super Regional to host Notre Dame. You drop the first one. You dominate in the second one to set up a winner-take-all game three and just never really could get the offense going in that game three. Taking what the Vols learned from that experience last season, especially the veteran guys that returned for 2023. How important was it for them to advance past the Super Regional and prove that Tony Vitello and his group could get to Omaha? It was really important for this year, and and it's just been such a weird year for the Vols, obviously coming off that historic run you know, last year with the historic season. And Look, Matt, everything came easy for them, you know, last year in terms of the offense clicked, the pitching was fantastic of those, you know, young starters with Blade Tidwell and 
Chase Burns and Chase Dolander, and then obviously you throw in Drew Beam as well, who didn't get a chance to get that ball in uh, in that last series there uh, at Lindsey Nelson Stadium against Notre Dame. And they were kind of the bad boys of college baseball. This year, a much different vibe. Everybody knew the pitching was going to be there, but nobody really knew how this group was going to mesh because they really dug into the transfer portal, bringing in guys like Griffin Merritt, who I talked to on my show this year, fantastic dude, led the team in home runs. Uh, you also had uh, Zane Denton, the babyface assassin, who came in there and, and obviously has done really well here in the regionals and the super regional. And then, of course, you had a guy like Maui Yahuna, who you know, was a little disappointing, but it just took them a very long time to mesh everything together. And Tony's spoken about it very openly. He did after the game last night and said, hey, look, it, it took us about half the year. And to start the year, to be honest, it was a little weird around the facility. Guys just didn't get along with other players, and you know some of the players didn't go along with the coaches, and it was just sort of a weird process. And coming into the year, he mentioned, he's always said, hey, look, I didn't think we deserved to be the consensus number two team in the nation. We lost a lot last year, and there's going to have to be some some growing within this team. And, and you know, they figured it out. It was halfway through the season. They were 5-10 and 10 in SEC play. And there was that moment that just switched that Tony talked about last night and said, look, the players just started to take you know, control of the team and, and, and sort of do what they needed to do in terms of a leadership you know, perspective. And that's the mark of a great team when it goes from being the coach's responsibility to lead to the players taking ownership of themselves and of the group. And they really said, hey, look, we're not going to let this season go down, in, in, down the drain. We're too good to allow it to go down the drain. Mm-hmm. So... That was a big uh, that was a big shift for them midway through the season, and when they swept Vanderbilt, I think that's really when they got rolling. You know, before that that sweep of Vandy, just a couple weeks before that, they were in Baton Rouge to to play then the top ranked LSU Tigers, and after you know a close five two game on the Thursday night, and then an even closer six four game on the Friday, Kentucky was able to come alive offensively and get a fourteen to seven win in that series finale. You know, looking at this matchup in Omaha between the Tigers and the Vols, obviously it's difficult when you play a team that you've already faced yet again, but also it, it kind of gives you an advantage because you somewhat know what to expect. Uh, what, mm-hmm. what, what can this Tennessee group take away from their trip to Baton Rouge just a couple months ago? Well, I, what I'm really going to be interested to see, and, I, and I, it's, uh, this is really a different team than we saw back in, you know, whenever this game went off, and I'm looking for the date right now, back in, uh, back in March, end of March, you know, it's, this, this team is completely different. So I really wouldn't pull too much from what we saw in that first, you know, matchup between these two teams. And, you know, when we look at it, it was a marquee matchup. I remember I do a, a college baseball podcast on the Better Sports Network called uh, college baseball done better, and we were hyping up this matchup in a big way between Dolly and uh, Paul Skeens as well, who's been fantastic this year. He's been a, a, just a joy to watch and compete and just how he's dominated. And I'm going to be really interested to see if Tony B decides to say, hey, look, we'll put Dolly out there in game one against Skeens to kind of you know do that matchup, or is it going to be Andrew Lindsay, who's you know become their new Friday night guy, you know, quote in and quote out, you know, their opening starter, um, within a series or within the playoffs or whatever it's been, it's, it has been Andrew Lindsay. So I would be surprised if he went back with Dolander, but I would like it as a college baseball fan. Dolly versus uh, Skeens, it's such a great matchup, such electric stuff on both sides. They've seen Paul's, Paul's uh, they've seen Skeens already, so 
you know, they, they got dominated by him. They really weren't able to get much going against him. Maybe they pull that film and they can take something, you know, offensively against schemes. But uh, other than that, this is a really different team than they were the, the last time they played LSU. So I would expect um, them to, to put up maybe a little bit more of a fight. But that LSU lineup, I know, is incredibly good. Greg Larnard, host of The Word with G on ESPN Chattanooga, joining us here on Crunch Time. Now, when you look at Charles Schwab Field in, in Omaha, it's not much bigger than your standard college park, but it, it's been viewed as a hitter's park. And, and with Tennessee's potent offense, LSU has one of those as well. Uh, but both of them also have pretty good pitching staffs. Charles Schwab Field gives the advantage to who Saturday night? I've been to Charles Schwab Field. I was uh, I was out there a couple of years ago when Tennessee went. It's an incredible. I will say this to anybody who's a baseball fan: if you've never been to Omaha and the college, the men's, the men's college World Series, it is an experience that you didn't know you needed to do, and uh, it was an incredible experience. Uh, baseball Village out there, Omaha Village that they have, you know, surrounding the field is fantastic. The atmosphere is great. Uh, it's the greatest show on dirt, as they say. And uh, you know, when it comes to the field, I- I'd say I'd give the advantage to LSU. They're just a more consistent hitting team. They have bigger bats than Tennessee does. And if it's been, you know, it's obviously known as a hitter's park. And I know Tennessee's pitching has been pretty good, but Skeens is so good himself and better than anything that Tennessee has that they're, they're going to throw out in terms of stuff wise. So I'd have to give the advantage, unfortunately for us to, uh, to LSU because their lineup is just so good. I mean, with Dylan Cruz and Tommy tanks and, um, you know, K below. So on all of those guys who can just do guys who, I mean, there's so many guys within that lineup that you have to account for that. It's, it's really a task to hold them down for a full nine innings. Greg, as we start to wrap, you know, looking at the statistics, Tennessee has four players with 15 plus home runs. So, so there's no doubt that this offense can hit one through nine, but if you had to pinpoint one player, that's going to be the X factor offensively for Tennessee, who would it be and why? That's a great question, Matt. I've uh, we've uh, we've kind of taught you well in terms of asking these questions. <laughs> but uh, you know, since we were both out there in Lafayette and uh, and we're working together, man, I miss those times. I would say I'd watch out for Griffin Merritt. He was sort of quiet in uh, in the super regionals and even in the regionals in terms of he was the team leader in home runs this year. He was been kind of quiet in terms of power. You know, Zane Denton, he's got five hits in the regional slash super regional, and four of them have gone for home runs. Christian Moore hit 700 in the regional, but didn't really do much in the supers. Uh, Blake Burke can hit a ball a country mile, but he'll strike out a lot. Same thing with Maui Yahuna as the leadoff hitter. But I'm going to circle a guy in Griffin Merritt who has really shown that he can be a, a full-fledged hitter. He's gone the other way much better. He's gotten some base hits. But I would kind of watch out for him as a guy that I would circle to say, you know, don't let him, don't make a mistake to him because he can certainly, again, leading this team in home runs, he can certainly deposit one quick, fast, in a hurry if you make a mistake. Greg Larnard, host of The Word with G, ESPN Chattanooga, joining us here on Crunch Time. Greg, my guy, I appreciate you as always. Uh, enjoy the weekend, and uh, let's talk soon. Hey, sounds good, man. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it, and uh, continued success to you guys on that show, man. I'm so happy to see what you're doing, and love to see all your success, and I uh, appreciate you guys having me on to talk a little Tennessee and LSU baseball. Appreciate you, Greg. And there he goes, Greg Larnard, host of The Word with G. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time. And when we return, your call's on the hotline, 337-706-0111. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Houston Astros return home to begin a three-game series against the Washington Nationals tonight at Men in Maid Park. First pitch begins at 7:10. Astro launches at 6:40. You can catch it right here on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Live Astros baseball on Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 519. Welcome back to Crunch Time here on the game in Southwest Louisiana sports station in your home. For the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. So in, in the days of NIL, guys have been able to create gear for their own personal gain and do as they wish with them, right? LSU players were seen at media availability today wearing yellow t-shirts that looked like they had a face on them. It's got sunglasses, a mustache, and then the bottom half of a goatee. Turns out that they are courtesy of Hayden Travinsky. The picture is supposed to depict Travinsky. Uh, It is his logo, supposedly. Um, Any player that wanted one was given one. And Gavin Guidry was wearing it to media availability today. Something just came across the Twitter feed, James. There are now hats with the Hayden Travinsky logo on it. So the question is, would you wear one of Hayden Travinsky's shirts slash hats? I'm trying to find it right now. Because. Oh, I see it. <laughs> I would wear that. You, you would wear it. I, I feel like that would be you. And and the hats, so there, there's two. There's a dad hat, and then there's like I can't a, see the design because uh, Gavin's got it backwards. A baseball, well, that he, Gavin's not wearing the hat. Oh, Gavin's not wearing the hat? That's their LSU baseball hat. Mm. I'm, I'm going to send you the picture of the hat right now. Um, it is it is something interesting. Yeah, the shirt's pretty sweet. To, to say the least. Ah, look, I, I, I get guys building brands and, and I'm not against that. I, I just it would be better if it looked like a better logo than like it was more professionally done. Right, right. <laughs> it, it looks like somebody drew it on Microsoft Paint and was like, hey, this works. It looks like a college kid came up with the design and was like, we're gonna we're gonna make millions with this t shirt design. Correct. Oh my God, we're gonna be superstars. Oh man, we're gonna be the next Nike. Uh, anyways, once again, the game hotline three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. The U.S. Open begins on Thursday out in Los Angeles, and this is going to be the first major since the second leg of the Live PGA Tour drama goes down. If you look at the odds currently, Scotty Scheffler is the favorite at 13 to 2. John Rahm is 8 to 1. Brooks Kepka 17 to 2. Victor Hovland 10 to 1. Rory McIlroy 11 to 1. Los Angeles native Max Homa at 16 to 1. 
Spieth and Thomas both at 25 to 1, along with Colin Morikawa and Tony Finau. And then a interesting value pick could be, you know, Bryson DeChambeau, Tommy Fleetwood, Ricky Fowler comes in at 50 to 1. And then your big sleeper is going to be a guy like Denny McCarthy, 100 to 1 at Los Angeles Country Club. It is a 7,500-yard course. Uh, It's going to be firm and fast, and it'll be a fun weekend. Majors are always, you know, a a bigger deal than the rest of the tournaments. It might be the same field. It might be the same course, but things are treated a little bit differently if it's a major. Um, Obviously, I will have a new edition of, of Over Par coming out later this week previewing the U.S. Open and giving my pick. I'm not going to give my pick just yet because i got to give you a reason to go to the YouTube channel and check it out. So, on YouTube, at The Game Louisiana, if you want to check out Over Par. That intro is all you need. <laughs> you you have always loved that I intro. love that intro. That, that, it's so funny how much you absolutely just can't get over that intro. But anyway, like it might be the best one I've ever seen. Stanley Cup final tonight, game five between Vegas and Florida. The Golden Knights up three games to one. Back home in T Mobile Arena, a seven o'clock puck drop. Matthew Kachuk, a game time decision for the Florida Panthers. That could spell an issue for Florida. I mean, I, I, I picked Vegas at the beginning of this series. I'm sticking with that now that they're up 3-1. to one. Um, I think that this is just a season where it feels like it's time for, for Vegas to lift a Stanley Cup and to be in that conversation. They've been good for so long since they became a franchise back in 2017. They've been good every year. They've hung around. This is already their second appearance in the Stanley Cup Final And I just think that they are going to be champions tonight. Um, Speaking of the NHL, the Ottawa Senators are nearly in agreement to be sold. Uh, The deal of the, the terms of the deal have not been disclosed yet, but according to multiple reports, the purchase price is at nearly a billion dollars. Billion dollars for an NHL team. That's a lot of money. Um, and, and Ottawa has struggled over the last several years. Uh, they will look to get back on track. Sometimes that's all it takes is just new ownership that, that's willing to put the money in, right? Um, you, you've seen it happen before. A great example that immediately comes to mind is Manchester City in, in English football. They struggled for years and years and years, and they'd gotten to the point where they were the, the redheaded stepchild of the city of Manchester, and then, you know, they get bought by a group of oil executives from Saudi Arabia and, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars gets dumped into the club and they've now, you know, won five Premier League titles since then. They've just won the Champions League. I I mean, there's just... Tons of money has been thrown in to the the organization, the club, whatever you want, whatever term you want to use. So 
th- that's an instance that comes to mind. Sometimes all it takes is a group that's willing to put the money and willing to do what it takes to win for a team to have success. So hopefully in the Ottawa Senators' case, this move will only benefit them. Some other top stories, James Odell Beckham Jr. debuted for the Ravens today in his first action since Super Bowl 56. How? What, what kind of impact do you expect Odell to have in, in the Ravens' offense with Lamar? I don't want to say he's going to be a 12, 1,300-yard receiver with 10 touchdowns, but I think even though he may not be the guy that we saw in 2014 through 2017, and even with him battling back and playing with the Rams and having a hell of a postseason with them, I still think he's going to have a good overall season, and he's still going to command a lot of attention on the defense. Like You've always got to keep your eye on him because even though he's gone through plenty of injuries, dude always comes back, and he seems to never really take a huge step back. It's just... He's always been a really resilient player. I, I could see him having success. Um, I'm looking at like 850 and 8. Ooh. Ooh. But that's because you don't see the passing offense a lot for the Ravens. So unless they really open up the playbook and are like, we really want you to sling it across the yard, Lamar, I don't expect the wide receiver one of the Ravens offense to have a, a – a thousand to twelve hundred yards. I think it'll be a little bit less, and you may see because not only are you got to give it to Odell, but you still got to feed Mark Andrews Correct. because Mark Andrews is your main weapon. That's Lamar's best friend. Correct. And you've also got Zay Flowers, who you've seen a lot of the young receivers that get drafted early. You're also going to have they Rashad make an impact. Bateman. Still got Rashad Bateman. You still got to get Devin Duvernay the mm-hmm. ball, and that's we haven't even talked about Isaiah Likely or any of the other running backs on the team. Correct. So it's like I think. He'll be the wide receiver one on the depth chart, but to say that he's going to have a thousand or more yards, I would go under on that. And, and real quickly, uh, I looked up the the Manchester City purchase, and I, I spoke incorrectly. They are owned by the Abu Dhabi United Group. Uh, the team was purchased back in September of two thousand and eight for two hundred million pounds. So two hundred million is a lot. Uh, and, and since then, millions more have, have been dumped into the club for, for their success. Um, so again, j- just backtracking to that point. Also, staying staying with the NFL now, Dalvin Cook, released last week by the Minnesota Vikings, says that he is in no rush to sign, saying that he wants to be valued by the team that acquires him. He wants to go to a team that wants him. And I totally understand that. Now, James, I, I I know the Saints don't really have a pressing need for running back, but with $14 million to spend, do you at, at least test the water? I mean, always go for your due diligence and be like, hey, you interested? I mean, I know we got Kamara, Jamal Williams, and we just drafted a running back in the third round, but I mean, hey... If Kamara's going to be out for a little bit, I know you're one of the premier running backs, but if you're interested in joining the black and gold, why not? I just wouldn't put all my chips into it. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I would throw you know every penny you have at, at Dalvin Cook because you just don't need him that badly. You toss your line in the water. If you get a bite 
awesome. If not, just move to a different spot and go find another player that could help bolster this roster even more. Because if anything, I'd even though I know they want to look at Peyton Turner and see what he's got, because you did use a first round mm. pick on him, so of course you still want to give him a fair chance. Yeah, I'd still want you to go find someone because you can never have enough defensive linemen. It's the same thing with offensive linemen. Like if you can still bolster up the lines more Certainly. and still go get another linebacker. Certainly. If you can go get another linebacker that could either make the roster or be some good competition during training camp to help make Pete Warner and Demario Davis and anyone else that would make the roster even better. Like even like DeMarco Jackson. Yeah. Iron sharpens iron. For sure. Absolutely. Um Look, that that $14 million at, at this time of year, that's a lot of money. Uh, and, and the Saints could do a lot with that. So, Isn't it crazy that just a few months ago it was, oh, man, Saints are $70 million over the cap, and now look at them. Mm-hmm. I, I still it, – it, like, it, it's so impressive to watch them get out of that the way they do, but at the same time, it, it's so aggravating. Like, do you have to be $80 million over every single year? Like, can't we just make it look a little bit better? But that's what makes it so odd. It's like, oh, you always hear the national media of, oh, man, they're so-and-so amount over the cap. Like, how are they ever going to be able to do anything? And it's the same thing every year. And guess what? They always make plenty of signings and plenty of transactions with money to spare. Yeah, they always they always find a way to figure it out. Mickey Loomis is just... And I just sit back and I'm like, come on. Mickey's not in the Matrix. He is the Matrix. Mickey... He and Kai Harley and everyone else in that front office dealing with the cap. It's like just creating voodoo magic. Wild. Absolutely wild. 532, we'll take a timeout. Apollo Dez joins us next to talk about the Houston Astros and how they can get back on track tonight against the Nats here on the game. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Miguez and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is to the moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Dez, what's going on, my man? How are you? I'm good, brother. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Question number one, why are the Astros being more secretive than normal regarding Jordan's injury? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I haven't heard anything, but it doesn't give me warm and fuzzies. Uh, I'm expecting maybe an IL, longer IL stint than what uh, what they're kind of leading out to. It just feels a little weird, doesn't it? Well, because, you know, they, we, we've talked about it before. They've always held things close to the vest. But w- when Dusty brought up HIPAA and then a reporter was like, well, teams reveal MRI statuses all, all the time. And then Dusty was like, well, you got to talk to the trainer. And then the trainer wasn't made available to the media. Just just seemed very fishy to me. Yeah, that's an ongoing Astro thing. Uh, Chandler Romy usually is the one leading that charge. And uh, thankfully, he does do that just to... Uh, to make them say that out loud. Uh, but, yeah, it doesn't feel great right now. Um, the big man literally is the entire offense for, for most of these games, and um, a lot of guys got to step up. And uh, as of now, hopefully this home stand after that 17 games, we see, you know, Bregman, Tuck, Altuve, and Abreu really turn it on. 
Yeah, you know, 17 games without a break. Losers of five of their last six trying to get back on the right track. Nine-game homestand that starts tonight against the Nationals. The Nationals are a struggling team, too. So how can the Astros take this three-game opportunity to get back on track? Yeah, I think they have to take it game by game. Uh, obviously, when you when you're you're scuttling a little bit like they have been, uh, they got they got to get the first one, and that starts tonight. Obviously, Patrick Corbin's on the mound. We all remember him uh, pitching for the Nationals in Game Seven of '19. So, uh, a little frustrations there. Hopefully, the offense uh, takes out on them a little bit. Now, you brought up guys needing to step up in the absence of Jordan Alvarez. Mauricio Dubon still hitting 300. Jeanier Diaz is hanging around 274. Kyle Tucker, you know, having a strong season as well, 268. But I am really waiting to see Alex Bregman flip the switch because his numbers aren't bad. Nine, hum- nine homers, 39 RBIs. But you're still waiting for that, oh, man, Breggy's back moment. Yeah, I think I think teams have been kind of targeting him in the, in the sense of they're not going to let Alex Bregman beat you. and Obviously, that that leads to him expanding the zone, and he was working on some swing things. I, I expect Bregman to, to heat up here soon. Uh, that guy is just one of a kind. Obviously, you guys know Louisiana. That guy just grinds like no other, uh, obviously being an LSU kid. And so um, I don't I don't know if we're ever going to see the 2019 Alex Bregman in the sense of all the the MVP chase and, and the, the, you know, Brett behind Trout. But Alex Bregman is a, a dang good baseball player. I, I think he's one of the best at the game when he's on, and I, I fully expect him to turn on here in the, the next couple of weeks. Yeah, there's no doubt he works. I mean, at the LSU practice facility, he's the reason that you now need a key card to get into the cages. Uh, oh, because... yeah. I, I've, I've hung around this guy a lot. I've been very fortunate with what we do in Apollo to be around Alex Bregman. I tell you what. We were at a we were at this gala event, and he came up to me and was just like, "Hey, uh, am I doing this, this, this?" And I was like, "Dude, there's the who's who of people in this room, and you're 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 thinking through, you know, this at bat and where your hands are, and it was just impressive to watch. It's some it's someone that has that that mama mentality gene, and man, it's it's really great to be around and and all the stories are true. This guy is a nonstop worker." Uh, it's, it's unbelievable watch. Yeah, he he. Like I said, he's the reason the key cards are now on the facility because he he would call the equipment managers at like twelve thirty in the morning and be like, "Hey, come open the cages for me." That's like, amazing. That's that's so wild. But anyways, you know, looking back at the Astros now, looking at the pitching, you know, obviously this offseason we talked about the departure of Justin Verlander and you talked about guys that were going to step up. Lance McCullers Jr. battling injuries again. You lose Luis Garcia for the year. Hunter Brown has been a welcome sight at 5-3 and three on the season. J.P. France has come a long way. Just kind of talk about this pitching staff and where you think it's at You know, as we approach 70 games into the season. Yeah, it feels like uh, found money a little bit in the sense of the, the France, the Belak, the Blancos, those guys stepping up. Obviously, Hunter Brown's a rookie, but we, we saw him quite a bit last year at the tail end. Um, but, yeah, it's this this team is night and day difference, it feels like, uh, online when you talk about the Houston Astros. But the defending champs, what they did so well last year was, was fish the dang baseball. And we still have that. It, it, when you try out a, a Javier, a Framber, and a Hunter Brown, you can go win a series. And so I, I think to see these guys step up the way they have and just compete, I think competition breeds success. 
obviously the the bullpen's kind of been you know up and down a little bit, but I see it come together, and this is what this is what happens to to really good teams. And look, the offense will carry the the pitching staff and, and a part of the season, just like the pitching's been carrying the offense. So I think at the end of the day, this team's still built to repeat and still built to to make this run and keep going. But it's always a pleasant sight to see when your pitching is just pitching their tails off. Chat with Apollo Des of Apollo HOU. You've got three games against the Nationals, and then you've got three games against the Reds. The schedule is shaping up the right way for the Astros right now. We talked about needing to get back on track. You've got the Mets, the Reds, and the Nationals. In this nine-game homestand between now and next Wednesday, obviously, of course, you have to take it one game at a time. But how many wins would you need to see out of the Astros to feel comfortable before they head on the road for nine games? Yeah, I think uh, a solid a solid seven. Uh, a six would be great. I think seven really means they, they've turned the corner and they're, they're putting their, their you know foot on the gas. Um, this is when they... Astros typically start turning up a bit, and I, I fully expect that to, to start this week. Now, Des, looking at the lineup for tonight, I, I noticed Jeremy Pena is not on it. Is that just a night off thing? Uh, yeah, I think Des said he had a little stomach bug issue going on. Uh, it's kind of a precaution thing, keep him out of the lineup tonight. Um, look, a grind happens over 162, giving him that third day off, essentially. Um, it's all right. Uh, obviously, Jeremy Pena, the World Series MVP, is hard to, you know, take out of the lineup. But as long as he gets right, I think he'll be all right. There's nothing serious of Dusty said about an injury or anything like that. And it's kind of crazy. Dusty will be very coy on injuries, but if a guy's sick, he'll just be like, yeah, it's, you know, he's, he's working a stomach bug or something. How cool would it be to see uh, – I know Darren Baker is listed as day-to-day, but how cool would it be if he pinch hit for the, for the Nats tonight against his pops? Oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, I've been able to spend time with with Dusty and Darren. They're great human beings, and uh, and I'd be great for the baseball world if, if we get that. You know, we talked earlier about guys that have have kind of struggled to find their footing. That was Jose Abreu for most of the beginning of the season, but he's starting to come around a little bit. Homered twice in, in as many days earlier last week and you know he's up to 30 rbis on the season now just kind of talk about what fans could see out of abreu as the stretch gets into the summer yeah i think we're gonna see uh hopefully building on on his ops and and everything else that comes with that in this lineup i think having altuve back is probably great for him uh him elevating the ball the way he has over the last week week and a half i think is a any anyone that's watched baseball ever in their life could tell he was just burying balls in the dirt and just like we're like come on man like lift the baseball lift the baseball lift the baseball and then he gets that one home run in Oakland and then he gets a couple more in Cleveland so I think he started to elevate the ball I wouldn't be surprised if he, he gets uh, some Minute Maid Park home runs this uh, homestand uh, and we get the with the crowd going and uh, get a little momentum. Apollo does of Apollo HOU does before you run who wins tonight and who's the X Factor? I got uh, Stroh's big tonight, eight two, and Diaz. Diaz is the is the hitter that's going to get everything going. Des, appreciate your time as always, my friend. Absolutely, brother. Talk to you later. And there he goes, Apollo Des of Apollo H O U for to the moon Tuesday. Janier Diaz is his pick to be the guy that gets it going. 
274 on the season. He's got three homers, eight RBIs in 84 plate appearances. Your lineup for the Astros. Dubon, Altuve, Bregman, Tucker, Abreu, Diaz, McCormick, Myers, Maldonado. And once again, Hunter Brown on the mound for the Houston Astros. James, you know, and I brought it up just now with Dez, but I I just want to reiterate how cool it would be if Darren Baker makes an appearance tonight at some point. I mean... I know he's listed as day to day, but come on, let him let him pinch run, pinch hit something, put him on the field against his pops. That would be incredible to see. Um, I remember either last year or the year before there was a spring training game between the Astros and the Nats, and, and uh, Darren threw out the first pitch to Dusty, and Darren brought out the lineup card, and it was it was super cool. Um, such a special moment uh, for those two. So if, if Darren could get involved at any point in this series, that would definitely be awesome to see. Once again, a 7-10 first pitch pregame at 640, and you can catch it right here on the game. We'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We hear the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Know you love our shenanigans both on and off the air. So go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. Click the bell so you can get notifications for when we post our new content and game recaps. Go see more of our fun behind the scenes and after work mischief at The Game Louisiana on YouTube. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 553 as we wrap up today's show. James, Adrian Amos has signed with the New York Jets. Are they secretly becoming the New York Packers? It's starting, it's kind of starting to feel that way. You get Aaron Rodgers, you get Alan Lazard, you get Randall Cobb. Now you get Adrian Amos. I mean, it's kind of like the Philadelphia Bulldogs at this point. Yeah, no kidding. Um, also, how about this Stefan Diggs drama? Uh, I don't put too, too much emphasis into it because come on do we really think he's not gonna go to any of the activities right that that's that's like the by thing. the time to- by the time we hit the regular season we're gonna forget all about this that's the reason that i find it so funny like how why is this even a conversation you know he's gonna be there if he was a second or a third year player or a rookie not showing up then yeah, but he's a proven vet that's one of the top receivers in the league. Are you really that concerned? He's been with y'all for the last three years. Ah, uh, man, I just, I, I guess it was it was a slow news day, and somebody in Buffalo needed a story. Um, well, it is a premier, it is a premier player not going. So for it's sure, like, but it's uh, all again, it's always an e- it's always an easy headline to get to. Correct. Uh, uh, again, you know he's going to show up when he has to. So it's the same thing with like 
Demario and when Alvin Kamara when they're not there, it's like do right. you, do you really not trust him? No, nobody's freaking out about that. But yet here we are freaking out about about Stephon Dix. But anyways, uh, some MLB matchups tonight. How about the battle? The first battle of New York for the season: Mets Yankees. I hate them both, but if I had to pick one, give me the Mets. James, do you have a a team that you're rooting? Are you going with your bestie and cheering for the Yankees? No, I don't care for either team. If there was a way for we could have that we could have them tie, I'd like that. Or both lose, but or or, or like my dad used to say, the meteor. The meteor. <laughs> can we can we cheer for the meteor to just like, you know, not not kill anybody, obviously, but like just do enough damage to where the game can't be played. And is just, there a possible way where we can have both teams just lose? Right. Can 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 this not ever just ever happen? Um also Angels, Rangers, Cubs, Pirates tonight, Phillies, Diamondbacks, and of course the Marlins and Mariners at 840 in that one. Once again, the Astros and Nationals, 710 pregame at 640 right here. On the game. Want to take this opportunity to thank our guests today, Greg Larnard, for joining us, talking all things Tennessee Volunteers as they prepare to do battle with LSU in Omaha. And of course, Apollo Dez for joining us, talking all things about the Houston Astros. Come back tomorrow, same time, four to six, same station, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We'll talk about the Astros game tonight. Hopefully, we'll talk about a Stanley Cup champion in the Vegas Golden Knights, and we'll do a deeper dive into the U.S. Open for the world of golf as that gets underway on Thursday in sunny L.A. For the producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez, reminding you to be safe, be well, and give a hug to your mom and them. 4-6 to six tomorrow, right here on the game. Once again, it's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Astro launch gets underway in about 40 minutes right here on the game.